I want to read from the third chapter of the book of James, beginning at verse 1, and read through verse 12. We're reading from the New American Standard translation of the Scriptures. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You can look at that from both sides. That is to say that if a person can control his tongue, he can, he can discipline his whole body. And the other side of that coin is that a person who can't discipline his tongue can't discipline anything. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by the human race. But no man, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. What a contradiction. From the same mouth come come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. I'm told there is a little churchyard in England, a little graveyard, and in this graveyard there is a stone, a bleak gray stone on, at, the, at the point at the head of a grave, and the epitaph on that gravestone says this, beneath this stone a lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 4th of May began to hold her tongue. Now some of you will catch that uh, later on and you'll chuckle in the sermon for it's true that it takes death for some folk to learn to hold their tongue. Leonardo da Vinci was one of the great masterminds of the Renaissance. He had a tremendous curiosity that he sought to satisfy. 
He studied many things. He studied the human anatomy perhaps more than any other person outside the field of medicine. And he made copious notes of all he observed. And some of his notes read like this, And now the tongue. Ah, the tongue. No member requires as many muscles as the tongue and it exceeds all others in its movements. Von Grotto was a great German scholar and mind, perhaps the greatest mind that Germany has ever produced. One day he wrote his philosophy concerning the tongue. He said, One ought every day to hear some great song or read some great poem or see some great painting, and if it were possible to speak a few reasonable words. And he said, I have oft been ashamed of my speech, but I have never regretted my silence. And William Morris said, If your lips would keep from slips, Five things observe with care. Of whom you speak, to whom you speak, and how and when and where. I've chosen to kind of take this um, trip around the world concerning what others have said about the tongue to magnify the importance of this message tonight and to, and to remind us of the difficulty of the control of our speech, our tongue. The book of James is such a practical book. As a matter of fact, it sometimes embarrasses us when we read it seriously because it gets down right down where each one of us lives. And one of the biggest problems that any one of us has is has to do with the control of our tongue. Now, I don't want to begin tonight with the passage in James. I want to begin with where the problem really lies. I want you to flip back to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. For you see, the problem is not a problem with the tongue. The problem, as Jesus sees it, is a problem with the heart. And so in the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 10... He talks about it and he says, And after he called the multitude to him, he said, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Verse 17, Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. You see, the tongue is just a messenger boy of the heart. The tongue is just a bucket that's let down into the heart, and it dips up what is there in the heart, and comes and dumps it out. Shakespeare said 
a lot of things about a lot of things. And this is what he said about the tongue. His heart is as sound as a bell, and his tongue is the clapper. What his heart thinks, his mouth speaks. And what El Moody said, if somebody came from the old country to America and they had an instrument or device that would photograph the heart and they could guarantee that with this device they could photograph the heart and give you a picture of it, Dwight L. Moody said they wouldn't have a customer because nobody would want to have a photograph of their heart so everybody could see it. Then he said, and yet the tongue is the photograph of the heart and a man's speech is a picture of what's going on in his heart. So the truth is that when a man gets his heart right with God, his mouth, his tongue, his speech will be correct. Now to this passage that's before us. First, the introduction. There's a strange statement in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. The Phillips translation has it, I think, stop clamoring for the office of teaching. That seems rather strange to us who have to beg people to teach that James would have to be saying to his people, stop clamoring, stop seeking the office of teaching. And it seems that the, that the passage would indicate that James is condemning the teaching ministry. This is not a condemnation of the teaching ministry. It is a warning of the seriousness of the teaching ministry. In other words, James is saying, you folk who have been called, have been given the gift of teaching, be careful, be on guard, watch your tongue, watch what you say. It is a serious business to teach. I'm afraid sometime that when I, if I, you know, it would probably shock some of us to go down the halls of some of our Baptist churches and hear what is said inside and it would it is appalling I think that we spend so little time in the preparation of what goes on on Sunday in our teaching folks this is a serious business so serious James says that you better be on guard if you're going to be a teacher this is something that is vital and important and essential and divine in nature and the reason he's warning about the teaching and, and saying to you who are teachers, guard your tongues, is because the teacher is going to be judged with a greater judgment. And there are three reasons for that. First of all, because a teacher must teach the truth rather than his own opinions. It is the truth that men want to hear and need to hear. And sometimes the truth is the hardest thing to teach and preach for, for several reasons Some, primarily because the truth often hurts when, it, when it's told it's a serious business and a man is going to be judged with a greater judgment as a teacher secondly because of the tremendous influence a teacher has on the pupil I imagine tonight that if, if I, I started to do this but I don't guess I will I just wonder how many of us could stand tonight or lift our hand or say 
that their life tonight was molded and shaped as far as their moral and theological understanding by some Sunday school teacher in a Baptist church. I imagine that the great majority of us would, be, would have to say that. When a person comes into a, to a place where the Word is taught, that person's placing himself under the care and under the guidance of one who will literally shape his destiny in most cases. And it's a serious matter in the third place because a person is expected to live as he teaches. The important thing is not perhaps what a person says as a teacher. The most important thing is what his family says. The real test of a man is not what he says. His real test is what his family says, what his children say. The important thing is not what he says on Sunday in a classroom perhaps. The big test of that teacher might be what he says when he's in the privacy of his own home or in the privacy of his own friends. A man who teaches is expected to live what he teaches. So an explanation of this introduction is this. Since no one is infallible, especially you who teach, guard your tongue. And there is a clarification. First, he is not condemning teaching and he's not promoting our... our uh, not promoting silence. He is promoting the control of the tongue. Now let's get to the heart of the, of the message in the exposition. He gives three illustrations of the tongue. And each one of these illustrations have the same meaning. Now that's not because... That, it's, it's repetitious and it's not by accident. As a matter of fact... If you want to turn sometime to the 15th chapter of Luke, perhaps the greatest statement ever found in the New Testament concerning God's seeking, saving activity is found in the 15th chapter of Luke. And there are three parables there, and they all have the same teaching and the same meaning. So when you find in a group of verses or in a passage a trilogy, a, a group of three illustrations or parables that have the same meaning, you can understand that there is tremendous truth and importance in that passage. And he emphasizes it over and over and over again. Three times he illustrates it and emphasizes it because there is no thing more important to the Christian life than the control of the tongue. And the first illustration has to do with the bit in the horse's mouth. Now this is the teaching of all three of these illustrations. First of all, are this teaching. When you direct, when you control the mouth, you control the whole body. Let me say that again. If you control the mouth, you control the whole body so that the body and the life follows the mouth. Now you just think about that a minute. If you are given to profanity, you're going to live a profane life. 
If you are given to bitter statements, you're going to live a life of bitterness. But if your mouth is an instrument of praise and thanksgiving and adoration to God, your life is going to follow in the same direction. It's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg perhaps? But the emphasis of this passage is that if you can control, really control that massive, that big animal just by the flick of the wrist, for the body follows the mouth. Then he moves like a symphony that is mounted crescendo and he gives another illustration to emphasize it. And it's the, the illustration of a huge ship that is guided by the rudder. And with the hand of the steersman moving that small rudder, he guides that great vessel. Now he can guide it into safe waters or he can guide it to the rocks, but it will follow the direction of the rudder. And the emphasis is this, that a man who is not able to control his tongue will make shipwreck of his life and the lives of those around him. And I can give you illustration after illustration after illustration of that literally happening. A person who was not able to control his speech made shipwreck of his life. And then he builds on this great symphony of illustration and he talks about a little spark that sets a forest on fire. While we were out in California, they were having grass fires out there. Great Santa Ana winds were blowing while we were out there, hot right out of the east and it was dry, they are in a drought out there. And you, last fall, you may have seen it on television, it just happens all the time. People live with it out there. But uh, I noticed uh, just before we left, they were showing pictures of this thousands of acres that were burned uh, up and a, and a house, a farmhouse destroyed and two people killed. And they said it was just because of one little match. Now listen to me well. You have in your mouth the secret for the fellowship of First Baptist Church of Durant. You have behind your teeth the secret of this fellowship. And you also have behind your teeth a tool that will destroy it. I got to say that again. I have to say that now. You have the ability tonight in your mouth to develop and build the fellowship of First Baptist Church Durant. And you have a tool inside your mouth that will destroy this church if it's not controlled. What a tremendous potential to good and evil is the tongue. Now it's a necessary instrument but it's dangerous. Can you imagine what it'd be like living without a tongue? Sounds, sounds good as we think of some folks, how it might be good for them. If they, uh, but just think what life would be like. It's necessary but dangerous. I want to show you the illustrations in verses 6 through 8. Watch this. Now when you begin to read verse 6, you're not going to find the word like. The tongue is not like a fire. The tongue is a fire. And you'll not see the word like. That's how we interpret and that's how we preach. The tongue is like a fire, etc., etc. You'll see the word is, but not like. The tongue is a fire. 
the very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Now there are two phrases in this verse 6 that are intriguing to me. First is the phrase, the world of iniquity. The world, the whole world of iniquity is expressed by the tongue. If there is hatred, it will be expressed by the tongue. If there is impurity and immorality and, and adulterous thinking, it will be expressed by the tongue. If there is bitterness or malice, it will be expressed by the tongue. The whole world of iniquity is expressed by the tongue. And the second phrase that he uses here that's intriguing to me is the phrase, is set on fire by hell. And he uses in the Greek an, a, a, a word that's not often used in the New Testament. The word for hell that's often used is the word Hades, the abode of the dead. But he uses the other word for hell, New Testament word, it's the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. It was at one time the place where they offered sacrifices to the pagan god Moloch, human sacrifices. And it became the garbage heap of the city where all the garbage was piled and it was set on fire and it just kind of burned and seized and smoked. It was the garbage dump of the city. And James says that the garbage, the filth of the world of iniquity just builds up on the tongue. That's an intriguing thought. I was sitting uh, not long ago in a cafe and I was listening to some people sitting next in the next booth or table to me, men and women, and every word they said was profane. I mean women using four-letter words. It was filthy and vile and I thought of the whole garbage dump of the world of iniquity building up on their tongue. And then he says in verse 7, For every species of beast and bird, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. I mean, he says, every kind of beast we've been able to, to tame. Now, while we were out in California, we went to the, made the tour of Universal City. And they had this little sideshow, and they had all they had some animals, tamed animals. They had the uh, animal tamer that for for Universal City, for Hollywood, there, and he tames all these animals that you see on TV, including the birds of Alcatraz, and and they had this parrot that was on Beretta. You remember that little parrot, you know, that sat on Beretta's shoulder, and, and they had that parrot there. And they brought that thing out, and, and he did unbelievable tricks. I mean, he barked like a dog. It was incredible. And they had Boomer on there, that dog. And, you know, we were used to seeing uh, dogs train. That crazy thing did everything that a human could do and better. But the and most amazing thing, they had this rat. And they got this guy out of the audience, this little kid, and they blindfolded him and put a man's suit coat on him. And he was sitting there. And they turned this rat loose, and this rat ran out this thing, came down this little uh, uh, rope, went over there, crawled up on it, and got in this boy's uh, uh, the coat pocket of this little boy had on, and stuck his head out. 
And when they blind, <laughs> took off the blindfold, you know, he's looked down there like he saw red every day. I'd have jumped completely out of my skin. But, but the, the thing that amazed me was how they could, and they told about how they trained this rat. They'd get him to do anything he wanted to. Um, I, I heard somewhere the other day that one of the best trained, best pets you can have are snakes. And people keep tigers and lions in their house trained and tamed. But the Bible says that the tongue no man can tame. It's incorrigible. Now, I think it probably you and I can testify to that. I've made all kinds of promises and resolutions about how what I was going to say and not say, little words of criticism and, and uh, gossip that I'm guilty of. I've made all kinds of promises about how I was going to control my tongue, but the tongue is incorrigible. It's no man can tame it. Now, notice the emphasis there. It's no man can tame it. And the way that's constructed is to suggest that a man has to have the control of the Holy Spirit over his tongue in order for that tongue to be controlled. So it means two things. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you are not able to control your tongue. And secondly, it is when Christ lives in the life of a man through the person of the Holy Spirit and He brings His speech and tongue under the control of the Spirit of God. That's the only one. He's the only one who can control. Somebody said, be sure your heart's in gear with the Holy Spirit before you let out on the clutch of your tongue. Then he says in verse 8, verse 9, verse 8, that the tongue is full of deadly poison. Behind your, behind your teeth tonight is a vial of cyanide. When I lived in West Texas, uh, a terrible accident happened at Denver City, Texas. You probably read about it, saw it on television. There was a leakage of deadly gas one night in one of those oil, in the, one of those oil patches, oil fields. And because of the humidity, it was raining and misting, that deadly gas just settled down around into low places and people drove into that deadly gas and just were killed instantly killed immediately deadly poisonous gas that took lives in an instant folks you can literally walk out of here tonight and with your tongue destroy the life and the reputation of another person isn't that awesome? Let's look fine, finally at the tongue is helpful, but it's inconsistent. Verses 9 through 12. And with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. One Sunday morning after church, the father sat down with his children at the dinner table, and he offered thanks and he thanked God for his family and for his church, for the beautiful service. While they were eating their dinner, he began to criticize and condemn and gossip. And his little daughter sitting at the end of the table said, Daddy, did God hear you a while ago when you, when you offered that prayer? Yes, sweetheart, God heard me. Well, did God hear you a while ago when you were 
criticizing and condemning? Yes, honey, I guess he did. Well then, which did God believe? It's not uncommon for a man to speak beautiful, pious statements on Sunday and tell a suggestive, dirty joke on Monday. It's not unknown for a man to make pious statements on Sunday and curse a group of workmen on Monday. It's not uncommon for a woman to speak with gracious words in a religious meeting and then go out on the outside and murder another's reputation with her tongue. It's not uncommon. It's a shame, but it's true. Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And he says, these things ought not to be. And then he says in the next verse, that nature is consistent, but human beings are not. Go out in the Pacific Ocean and try to ride those white caps that come in. We try to do a little of that. Even me, somebody came and put a big chain on me. They thought I was the blimp out there on the ocean. But we got out in that uh, Pacific Ocean and tried to wide those white caps in with our little rafts. And you can't keep you, you know, you can't keep that stuff out of your mouth, that water, that ocean water. And it's salty. If you've ever done that, and our kids got out there for a while when we were out, and it's a terrible taste. You, you get a boat and go out in the center of the Pacific Ocean and you let down a bucket and draw it up and drink it, you'll not get fresh water for the nature is consistent, but human beings are not. It ought to be tonight that what we profess on Sunday is what we speak on Monday, but it's not always true. And what is the application? Three, and then I'll hurry to close. Number one, First application, the tongue defiles. The tongue defiles. Second, the tongue defies. It defies every attempt at human control. Third application, the tongue displays. It reveals what you really are. Now there are four things I want to leave with you. Number one, bear in mind that the words you say cannot be recalled. You've heard the parable of the person who went to the monk and said, I've done a terrible thing. I've said some terrible things about another. He said, I'll tell you what, the remedy, the cure. He said, go get a, get a basket of feathers and spread them over the community. That'll be the cure. He went and got a basket of feathers, spread them over the community, went back to the monk. The monk said, now go gather them. And he went back to gather them, and they were gone. And the monk said, that's just like your words. They can never be recalled. Second, remember that we will give an account to God for every idle word. We will give an account to God 
for every idle word. Did you know that? Did you know you'll answer to God, and so will I, for every idle word? Number three, learn to speak the good. And then finally, let Christ take control of your tongue. Would you bow your heads? In a moment, we're going to have an invitation time just to give you an opportunity to make some decision that God may have placed on your heart. Maybe you'd like to come tonight to profess your faith in Christ. Maybe for rededication of your life because you know right now that one of the great areas of sin in your life has to do with the tongue. Gossip, profanity, idle speech, maliciousness. You want, to law, you want to lay that before God, your sin. Maybe you want to come tonight and unite with our church, place your life here to serve God with these folk who worship and serve at First Baptist. I'll lead us in prayer, and then I'll invite you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great truth that's found in your word help us to realize the seriousness of what we say our, our speech oh God I pray that you'll search our hearts tonight and help us to realize that what we speak and how we talk is just an expression a picture of our heart and if there's anger, malice, bitterness, immorality, profanity in the heart. Pray you'll come and cleanse it so that our tongue will be a messenger of praise, goodness, righteousness, and virtue. And I pray tonight for those you would add to the church. I pray for those that are unsaved, who've never trusted Christ that this might be the hour of decision for each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name.